This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. As part of yesterday's economic statement, the government revealed plans to improve the oversight of OHIP, which costs us $16 billion a year. $12 billion of that goes to physician services, and a big part of the government's plan involves publishing physician billings online and tougher audits. Now, credit where credit is due. The move to make this happen was spearheaded by the Toronto Star, while the Ontario Medical Association fought it unsuccessfully through the courts. And we talked to the OMA a couple of days ago. Joining me with more details, Deputy Premier and Minister of Health, Christine Elliott. Hello. Hello, Libby. So what more can you tell us about this OHIP overhaul with more oversight? Well, it, it is uh, necessary and important. As you indicated, it's a $16 billion uh, spend every year, which is 25% of all healthcare spending and 10% of all government spending. The Auditor General of Ontario has in the past suggested uh, that there have been some weaknesses in the policies and processes for OHIP billing. And so we're responding to that, working with the OMA to, um, first of all, make sure that um, any um, billing adjustments that need to be made, we recognize that most of them are inadvertent. If there's mistakes made by physicians in terms of billing, then we recognize that we need to have a, an education um, a campaign as part of it, because I know there are several areas with that they're not, they're not certain what to bill. So we want to work with the OMA to make sure that, that the uh, billing is um, brought, uh, is being properly adhered to. But secondly, in, in those um, situations where there is inappropriate billing and it's, and it's not inadvertent, uh, we have to be the um, uh, representatives of the public and ensure financial accountability. And so there will be um, uh, work that can be done by the Ministry of Health to um, ensure that that uh, isn't repeated and to make sure that that practitioner conforms to the proper codes. Okay. Do you have any idea how much money that is? I mean, the Auditor General said probably hundreds of thousands. Do you, do you have a, a, do you have a more, uh, you know, um, tight estimate of how much money should be recovered by the government? Uh, we know that it's going to be significant, but I couldn't put an exact dollar figure on it. But I would suggest that uh, it would be several hundred uh, thousand dollars, perhaps maybe even into a million. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, some of the things that the Auditor General found. So, for instance, there there were a number, I think, six practitioners who billed on more days than there were in the year. Yes. Uh, which is something that's a physical impossibility. Yes. Well, that's something that we need to um, stop. We need to make sure that we are responsible for public funds, which, of course, all of the OHIP dollars are, and we want to make sure that we get best value for it. So in the past, uh, there wasn't a, a mechanism other than a warning system to um, to speak with physicians about inappropriate billings. The uh, system is becoming more robust 
and that uh, we are going to be able to to deal with people who continue to bill inappropriately. But uh, as I indicated, most of the problem is an inadvertent building, and so we're dealing with that in terms of an education process working with the Ontario Medical Association. Okay, well, a former president of the OMA tweeted that the prospect of this was chilling, and we know that the OMA has lost their bids through the court to stop this. And one of the things they cite uh, was uh, a while ago, there was a case of a physician who committed suicide after an audit, and there was a commission after that, and they kind of watered down the power. So you have to get all this legislation through to change that back, correct? Yes, and we don't mean for this to be punitive to physicians. There will be um, a, a maximum time frame that we will look back to. We're not going to go back. If there's someone who is um, inappropriately billed for years and years and years, we're not going to come back and say, you owe us $5 million. That's not the point of the exercise. The point is to make sure that going forward, everyone understands what um, what the billing codes mean, what they refer to, and that there will be um, an education system available to them. So we want to work with our physicians uh, because we recognize that the, the vast majority um, certainly do not do this intentionally. Okay, and I'd just like to point out to anybody out there who still has a red and white uh, OHIP card, that's going, I thought those went years ago. Well, I, I had hoped so too, but unfortunately not. About 98% of the, uh, our population has converted to the, uh, the, the photo ID cards, but we want to make sure that everyone does that conversion. And so we are going to be moving forward uh, with the system. We will be sending people notices that they're, um, they need to convert their cards. We will send repeat notices. It's not going to be one only, but so I hope people will respond to the first notice. But ultimately, it will end up in a place that if they have received enough warnings, if they need to be hospitalized, the uh, hospital billing will go into their personal name, which will be reversed once they have um, converted to the photo ID card. So we are serious about this. This is costing uh, in excess of about $10.5 million in terms of um People using those cards, yeah. And we've got to stop that because we need every single dollar to put into frontline health care for the people that really need it. Okay, on another note, uh, in terms of uh, waiting lists for long-term care and alternative level of care, I read an interesting piece, I bet you've read it too, from a stakeholder who said that part of the problem with the alternative level of care are the rules for letting a patient get a a crisis placement. And if those rules were changed, that would probably alleviate the problem. Because now you cannot be designated as a crisis placement if you're already in the hospital. Uh, Have you seen that? Yes, I've seen a, a lot of articles on that. It's something that I'm spending a lot of time on, as is my colleague, the Minister of Long-Term Care, Marilee Fullerton. And we want to make sure that people get to the, the best place possible for their care needs. And for many people that are alternate level of care in hospital, that's not the best place for them. So we need to find other places, uh, preferably home, if they can be home with the right home care supports and services with them. Uh, 
that's where people want to be. In some cases, it may mean moving people to retirement homes if they have um, excess space, again, with home care supports and services. But we've also set up reactivation care centers uh, by opening up several older hospitals to meet the needs of uh, of these patients because the longer you spend time in hospital, the more um, your independence is uh, deteriorated. And so we want to make sure that we can provide people with physiotherapy, whatever other therapy they need, including uh, uh, care to reduce social isolation. And, and we're finding that many people who are um, deemed to be long-term care patients, once they've spent some time in our reactivation care centers, they can actually go home with home care supports, which is great news for for everyone, for our system, of course, but most importantly for patients because pa- patients want to return home. That's the best place for them, the best place for their care, for their rehab, and uh, that's our goal is to return as many people to home as, as possible. Okay. Let's hope that works out. Thank you so much, Health Minister Christine Elliott. Pleasure. Thank you, Libby. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.